Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We're celebrating our 100th episode today. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, number 100, man. We're finally here. It seems like uh, we've been waiting on this for, for a couple of weeks now. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, I know. We got messed up with Africa and whatnot, but uh, here we are, 100 in, man. And uh, it's crazy because we started this show, what was it, two years ago. And, um, of course, the math works out pretty pretty simple, 52 weeks in a year. So, um, But, yeah, it's hard to believe we've already cruised through 100. And thanks to all the listeners. It's been great. The show continues to grow. And so we really appreciate that. And hopefully, Josh, we're here for another couple hundred. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was uh, thinking about some doing something to kind of connect with the audience, celebrate the the hundredth episode. And I think we've, we've talked a little bit about some things we have in the works uh, maybe later this summer. So I don't, I don't know how much details we, we have yet on some of the stuff we're planning, but we're definitely working on some stuff and uh, hopefully we can get it put together here pretty soon. Yeah. As you know, we, we talked about doing a trip bowl maybe or something like that. And we've had some good feedback on that. Um, we actually had a group that we've talked to about maybe co-hosting an event in early May. So we are, we are working on all that stuff, as you mentioned, Josh. Um, and of course, speaking of connecting with listeners, we got the uh, the fishing trip coming up here in just a few weeks. We announced the winners, reached out to them, got them all booked up. So that's excited. Uh, I'm excited, rather, um, to go fishing again this month. And I, I guess the real question is, Josh, is are you going to catch any fish this time? I mean, you went last time, you talked all that smack, and you, you got embarrassed. Are you going to step up to the plate this time and actually catch a few fish? Well, and uh, in my humility, I, I misjudged the amount of regret I would have for letting you win. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how how everything's going to work out with the baby. Though I'm, I'm thinking you're going to get cold feet because you realize uh, you realize the the nature of this next next go around is going to be a little different. <laughs> if I don't go, it will be because of Mama Ray, not because of uh, Ryan Ray. I can promise you that there is no. <laughs> No fear here. I'm ready to go. And so um, you mentioned the baby, but first let's take our sponsor, Bath Bath and Bay Rod and Gun, as we just mentioned. Had a great time last month. Looking forward to this month's trip. If you want to go down there with your family, your friends, or take some clients, Bath and Bay Rod and Gun is definitely the spot to do it. Uh, Josh and I had a great time. Really was a first-class resort and a first-class trip, so be sure to check them out at bathandbayrodandgun.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. Josh, as you mentioned, might have cold feet. Well, really, it's the baby coming, and she will be here on Wednesday at the latest. So that is April 3rd, recording April 1st, which means we probably won't have a show next Monday. Matter of fact, I'm going to say it now. We're not going to have a show next Monday, April 8th. We will pick back up on the 15th um, because Mama Ray might might chop my head off if I try to record a podcast uh, after she's been home from the hospital a few days. So we won't be back. We will be off next week. Be back the week after. The only caveat that is that we might go to the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers Conference tomorrow in Irving. If we go to that and we get some content, we could play that next week. But Josh and I will not be here next week and uh, be back the 15th. And so uh, number four, Josh, she is here finally. Feels like it, it feels like my wife's been pregnant for like six years. Like this one <laughs> feels like it's kind of just been dragging on, dragging on, and dragging on. So it's uh, we're excited to see it come to a close finally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, looking forward to that. Hope everything goes uh, smooth this week. 
while we were away, while you were away, Ryan, we had a couple of questions that came in, and um, we're going to go over some of those now. So, Nate, uh, the question from Joshua Smith, if you could read that one. General hiring question. There are a lot of headlines saying the oil industry needs X amount of people and that there is not enough people coming into the industry, etc. But there seems to be a breakdown somewhere. I know several people with degrees and experience that have tried to get on with companies or move companies and never get any sort of opportunity. I have been in the oil field for 10 years. I myself get calls from recruiters looking for positions, but they want you to have X amount of specific experience or have a big sales following in a very specific area to even be considered. So my question is, where is the breakdown for entrants and even experienced professionals to obtain higher positions? Is it a truly who-you-know market? Where is the point where these companies will train applicants or use the existing experience for their company? Is the market so busy that the only people considered are the ones already doing the exact job? Thanks. Great podcast. Keep up the good work. And as the man who gets blamed for everything, I think I'll take a little bit of credit for that. Thank you, Josh. It is really hard to keep Ryan and Josh in line sometimes. That's a great question from Josh. You know, we see so much information in the industry about uh, workers being needed, and at the same time, there's this feel that many people are struggling to get promotions that uh, really line up with their experience and the degrees that they have. So it's a good question. Um, several thoughts on, on, on this. Ryan, what are your thoughts initially? I know you have a lot of experience with, uh, with folks in all the different levels in the industry. Yeah, and one of the things he asked is, is it truly who you know in the market? And to some degree, it definitely is. That obviously is a key thing in oil and gas is knowing people just like just like any industry, Josh. If you just kind of step back and you think, well, um, you know, oil and gas is the good old boy market. Well, think of something like coaching where, you know, in the coaching profession, if you know Coach X and Coach X goes from uh, job A to B, then you probably go with him. Um, from that job and you know he will get you other jobs so definitely who you know is a huge thing and that's why you know finding the right networking um, opportunities is, uh, is is critical the other thing and Alfonso and and, and, uh, and I talked about this in our book some is you got to understand the difference between big companies small companies and you know kind of their mindset so if you're gonna if you want to go and work for someone like Exxon it's a fundamentally different mindset than it is for someone like you know us at Oxford Global ExxonMobil is going to have requirements upon requirements. They're probably not going to bend on them. Um, you know, they're going to have uh, HR um, protocols in place, something like that. Whereas a smaller company like we are, you know, we got we got certain rules, but they're not nearly as stringent like that. Um, as far as when you think about training, degrees, stuff like that, I think Josh and we talked about this. Uh, maybe Nate can find the episode. We had someone ask a job question a while back, and you know, it was a, a petroleum engineer, I believe, that was trying to get a, a job as a PE, and he couldn't. He couldn't get one. Um, and I think one of the things that we, we talked about in the episode, if I remember correctly, is you 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 have to kind of think about where you want to go and where you're at, and what are the potential paths to get there. And so, for instance, if you want to be a project manager, um, you can start applying for project manager jobs, even if you're not qualified. And, and that, on some level, could get you um, in for interviews, and you can hear the questions that you're going to be asked, the things that they're looking for, knowing that you have a long shot at getting the job, but, but you can at least get those questions. Okay, this is what they're looking for. 
the, and, and you can see who they hire potentially and kind of understand the difference. The other thing is we talked about is looking at where you're at in the industry now, looking at where you want to go and then start counting degrees of separation. So for instance, if you want to be a project manager, as I just said, who is the person right beneath the project manager? And then who is the person next to that person? And start to understand, um, well, you might not be qualified to be the project manager, but you might not be in the right vein. You might need to switch. You might need to move over to a different um, a different position. So you might need to be two or three degrees separated for the project manager position to start working your way up there. And I think that's one thing that sometimes we, as as industry professionals and people who are you know prideful and you know want to do a good job, but but think you know, hey, we deserve this. Sometimes we're a little bit hesitant to swallow the whistle and go um, and go to a spot that's not what we want in order to work at where we want to be, uh, in order to work to get to where we want to be at. And, um, and so, you know, uh, I think a couple of things, a couple more things for the question is, um, you know, I, I don't, I'll say this as far as the breakdown between entrance and experienced professionals that uh, obtain higher positions, positions, smaller companies that are doing a lot of turnover, their flips and stuff like that. You know, the, the management on that, on those, sometimes we'll go into retirement or move on to other things because they make a lot of money. So again, that's a small versus the big thing. Whereas a big corporation, you might come across something to where, um, to where the folks, the upper management there is for years and years and years. And it could be the same as a small company. You have to really look at the companies, understand what, what's going on there. Um, you know, if, if the management team is 45 years old, and they've been there for three years, and this is a company that's focused on long-term steady growth, they're probably going to be around for a while. So if you want to get a higher position, if that's the kind of higher position you're talking about, it might be a long road to hoe. Um, so I, I don't know, Josh, if that answers it. There's a lot of things, a lot of moving parts there. I think really it's understanding where you're at, understanding where you want to be at, and then looking at the potential options to get there, and then evaluating that against the type of company. So you might want to go work for an ExxonMobil. Uh, just kind of wrap this up because you get certain credentials for working at for Exxon Mobil, right? You get certain street cred, if you will, because mm-hmm. you work for Exxon or Shell or whomever. Um, knowing that you want to then take that and then go to a smaller company and leverage that to get a better position, so you might kind of fast track yourself not by going through Exxon, but using someone like Exxon is a good resume builder three to five years there, and then take that to a smaller company because now you have certain expertise, certain insights, certain knowledge that maybe a small company would value and give you a, a, you know, a faster um, promotion, if you will, or a higher a higher ranking position. Uh, so I, what do you think, Josh? I don't know if I covered everything there or not. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. You know, so my thoughts initially were the, um, were big companies. You go in and you, you work your way up. You have like a, a track you have to go through where you start at the bottom and it's, you know, it's no fun. You have to, work your way up a few years and then you get into an actual position that uh, has some responsibility or more responsibility. And I think what you're saying is I see people that once they work their way up four or five years, next thing you know, they end up going to a lot smaller company. Uh, The chances are they received a lot more money and they received uh, a job with more responsibility in terms of oversight, but less legwork. Uh, So they were, you know, doing what they would see as more important roles. But the only reason they got that was because of the position they already had at this bigger company, like you're saying. So I think that um, if if you're not landing the job you want immediately, um, going through that process, getting getting some um, some experience with some of these companies, even if it's in a position that seems you know under the degree you have or even 
under the experience you think you have, it may end up working in the long run to give you some accreditation that, that could help you get a, you know land a better job. So I think I think it was all great points. Absolutely. Yeah, and one final thing is if you are you know, have a high risk tolerance, so maybe you're a single uh, single guy or single gal, and you don't have to support a family, wife, and kids. One thing to consider is is going to work for a startup because a startup might be able to give you a lot more opportunity, a lot more room for growth out the gate. Um, but startups have a high failure rate, so uh, you keep that in mind. But you might can you know get get some different titles and different positions and different experiences by ro- rolling the dice with a startup. From Rod Richardson. What is your opinion on the future of the landman profession? Uh, another great question from Rod. Um, you know, the, the landman profession is something that is changing in a lot of companies. We see different roles and responsibilities. Uh, I know that in some um, companies, landmen have certain things that they're overseeing and in other companies they're not. Um, so, Ryan, I guess it would depend on on the company and how they really set the the landman up in some ways. Because in some areas, the landman oversees a lot more than in than in other. Uh, and I'm speaking of different companies. You know, it's one of the difficulties that I find with with what I do is determining um, who makes some of these decisions. And sometimes it's landman, and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I was. I thought about this a lot, and this is kind of a. It's kind of a. It's an interesting question, and some of the things I might say here might, um, you know, might already be going on because it's kind of hard to track what's going on across the industry as a whole. But here are some of the things I thought about, and I kind of think about this, Josh, potentially as in like an Amazon versus Best Buy, and, and so here's what I mean. Um, if, if I ran a big company like an Exxon or a, a Apache or a Pioneer or whatever, I would be trying to put out, and, and this could be going on, so I don't, I'm not saying it is or didn't, I'm just, this is just me. I would be putting out ways to try to get landowners to lease their minerals with me through my website as far down that process as I possibly can. So whatever the realistic, um, whatever, whatever's realistic in that, I would be trying to do that because... Some people like getting on Amazon, they don't want to talk to anyone, and they want to go buy their TV, right? So I would be trying to get as many people to lease with me on the website. Now, you, you know, some pushback might be as well, you're giving away where you're leasing at or things like that. And, and there's ways to work around that. So let's just kind of keep it general here. But that's what I'd be doing. I'd be advertising, we are leasing in these counties. And you can list more counties than you're actually willing to purchase, Um but I would be leasing that because you, you're you going to find people who are going to send you leads. And then you can vet the leads using drilling info or whatever to, um, you know, to, to hone down to see if that's acreage you want. So I think that is something that I'm curious to see if that's adopted or not. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, on the flip side, people like going to Best Buy because they like to talk to someone and they like to go and they like to look, they like to see, they like to touch. Um, so I don't think that, you know, um, no matter how far along that technological path we go, I don't think on the other end of the spectrum you're ever going to see people get rid of landmen. We still need negotiators, salespeople, um, things like that. So I, I think we're going to kind of see this balance where um, companies will try, and maybe it's a small, aggressive startup that's trying to get its, uh, its advantage on its competitors uh, by using techniques to get leads. And, and we see this with third-party professionals, right? You see this with people who aren't working for... Um, an Apache or an Exxon, you know, they're out there trying to acquire minerals 
and they're acquiring minerals using some of the methods that I'm talking about. So I don't know what the hesitancy is from the oil and gas company side to use it to collect leads to then convert to um, acreage. Um, so I think you're going to see a push that direction. But I also think you're going to see plenty of um, of, um, of of landmen going out and still have to negotiate, still doing the things. I would think if I'm a landman and I'm a younger landman, my focus would be on learning more technology. You know, how do I use drilling info? How do I use uh, the courthouse stuff? You know, how do I maybe build a website or you know, um, you know, proposing ways to my bosses to get leads. I, I would think in those terms, because we do know that there will be some some shift, whatever it will be over the next 10 to 15 years, in acquiring leads. And if you can do that and you can be on the forefront there, I think that's going to be the biggest shift. That's just a guess, though, Josh. I, I really don't know. Um, but I think the Amazon Best Buy debate is kind of uh, it's kind of where I would, I would think is that some people don't want to deal with people and they're going to look for ways just to unload their minerals. Um, and then some folks will look at ways and say, uh, no, I want someone to come talk to me. And if you can figure out how to balance that out, I think that's where the industry will be. Um, if, if that's if that's the question, I'm not sure if that's the, the question or not, um, but but that would be my thought. Well, you know, one of the one of the things we're going to have to keep keep up with is uh, is kind of how these land men are used also in, in different companies, um, because I, I'm with you in, in, in terms of people going to Best Buy and buying things, especially when it comes to doing something with land. You're probably going to want to have someone there to, to talk things over with um, that can show you things and, and explain things. I, it's going to be hard to get get rid of that. Honestly, it's uh you see the same thing in, in many other industries. Uh, some, you know, some places um, take like Blockbuster, for example, that went out. Netflix is now, you know, pretty much dominating, which there's other stuff coming up. But um, it, I think Landman will be in the category of things that's going to require that uh, on the ground negotiating uh, presence, that third party being there to uh, help help that process transition. Right, and so let me clarify this. So make sure I didn't misconstrue it. I think a very small number of people would actually be willing to negotiate it online, right? I think it's very small. Mm. But I do think they're there. However, I think probably more people who are sitting there and they're going, my neighbor just got my neighbor just got uh, his acreage leased. I wonder if someone would lease my acreage. And then they could reach out to the company and go through an online process. And again, mm. some of these companies might have this. I'm just not familiar with it. I know third-party people who do this very thing. Um, I'm just not familiar with the companies themselves doing it. And if they do, please hit us up on the website and let us know. We'd love to good, love to go check it out. But, but you know, Josh, you're sitting at your house and you see Ryan leases his acreage and they haven't called you. And, you know, he said, well, Apache leased my acreage. Well, you know, you might be interested in getting on there and going through the process and giving them all your information. And then they call you, right? Yeah. Um, and, and what that could do for the, um, for the client side of things is, you know, they could go and vet your information and see if it's something that they actually want to lease or not. Or if it's something that they don't release, and so they could maybe do a little, um, a little um, QAQC, if you will, before they actually talk to you. Also, um, you know, it would give the landowners the ability to shop around their their acreage because they go to Apache and if Pioneer had something like that. So it's I don't think yeah, I think you're right. For the most part, it's not going to eliminate the end game. I don't think that, but it could be a good way for landowners to get on there and then um, you know figure out what is going on. And hopefully um, make them trust the company a little bit more because they can see, um, you know, what information is to be required, what do they want to know, 
things like that. So it kind of kind of builds it out just like you would in real estate or any other market, you know, going through this this funnel, if you will, to ultimately hopefully close a, close a deal. Mm. Well, great questions, guys. Um, really appreciate that. And uh, any of our listeners, if you have questions, if you want to follow up, get clarification, uh, reach out to us. You can go to texasoilandgaspodcast.com and uh, send in your questions there. And we have a couple more questions that we're going to answer when we get back from the break as well. So if you send in some, they're on our list, and we will get to those. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, this week there were several articles that we had uh, came out. Christy Craddock um, with the Railroad Commission, she released an article on the 30th um, that said, Sunday marks 100 years of our oversight of Texas oil and gas industry. And she kind of goes over some of the things about the Railroad Commission started, I believe, in 1919. And um, they were just talking about some of the things that have happened over the years. Um, lots, of, lots of little interesting little tidbits that I found in there. Uh, one, for example, was they had set a goal to plug 1,958 abandoned wells, and, uh, and they ended up doing a three, around 3,000 abandoned wells. So um, little tidbits like that throughout about things that uh, they're doing uh, to try to push their agenda, uh, and not, not necessarily agenda, but just trying to be responsible, protect the environment uh, and while they on this industry is seeing great success. What were some of the things that stood out to you as you read through the article, Ron? Well, 100 years is a long time. It's funny. We have the, our anniversary is around, uh, is around uh, Texas Independence Day, and then the 100, 100 episode happened to be around the 100th uh, anniversary, so I thought that was kind of funny. You know, I, I thought it was a good piece. I think it's a great piece for folks in the industry. If you're if you're sitting here looking and say, you know what, um, the industry is always under attack. Here are things that we can implement. Uh, I mean, here, here are things that are being implemented. So if you get attacked by someone says that you guys are unregulated, you know, no one's watching what you're doing, yada, yada, yada. This is a great piece just to kind of give them a summary of what's going on. Obviously, it's not going to answer all the objections and all the questions. The only thing is, is Josh, I'm always, and, and this is no shock to listeners, I'm always leery. When government's bragging about government, you know, I'm always leery when they're talking about they're going to do more. So, um, but no, they, they, the Railroad Commission does a good job for the most part. And um, I thought there's a lot of good takeaways. I would use this as kind of, you know, a few stats you can keep in the back of your mind. And, uh, you know, someone saying you got, and that's the big thing, you know, you're not regulated. You're running the wild, wild west. Well, well here, here is the people who regulate us, and this is what they're doing. Um, yep. And so I think it's a good way to do it. Final thing is, I will say, um, government regulation aside, the Railroad Commission is considered probably the best uh, regulatory body in the world. So um, they do a good job. And uh, even though Josh and I like to give the uh, the government folks a hard time. Yeah, there's a couple of numbers in there just for, for our listeners that maybe go back and read it later. There's 160 trained professionals there. This is the most we've ever had. Uh, by the end of the year, 2018, they had driven 5.3 million miles, these 160 people. So Lots of traveling, uh, working, inspecting, environmental stuff. So, um, you know, that's stuff in the tool belt, like uh, like Ryan mentioned. Beto O'Rourke uh, signed a pledge on oil money. He said that he was going to, it was a the mantra was no fossil fuel money pledge. So, you know, he ran for Senate, uh, raised a ton of money, uh, just a ridiculous amount of money in a Senate race. And now he has uh, announced himself as a presidential candidate. But he said that he was going to take no money from fossil fuels. Well, he's getting some pushback because it, it was shown that from some executives of companies he had received, uh, I believe it was half a million dollars um, within the, you know, the first 
week of his uh, presidential campaign or, or nominee campaign, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so what they're saying is, is that you know, he said he wasn't going to take any money. He's already taking money, so it's disqualified. You know, so he shouldn't be on this. Uh, I think he was kicked off one of the boards, wasn't he, Ryan? Uh, maybe so. I, I, I just, I, I don't understand this, to be honest with you, because I, to me, this is, this is almost a silly thing. First off, I, I'll let you figure out where you think I stand on Beto works politics and uh, how smart the cat really is. But that aside, Josh, this is stop and think about this for a second. Let's just stop. About Let's say that Josh is running as a pro fossil fuel candidate. Okay. And he is saying that oil and gas is the greatest thing in the world. And he signs a pledge to not take money from um, anti-oil you know, uh, anti and gas groups or environmentalist groups. If I was, you know, if I was an environmentalist group and I had a spare $1,000, I'd donate to him. Just, just because then people are like, well, why are you taking money from this group? So to me, where do you take the money from? Obviously, there is some influence and some things you can draw from that. But sometimes this stuff, it just gets so silly that I, I don't, I mean, um, yes, we. so you can look at the money, where it's coming from, and potentially figure out where things are going. But also, as the article points out, or as I think uh, Beto says, maybe, that, you know, he gets oil and gas workers who are, who are um, you know, donate money to him. I would just ask, why would anybody in the oil and gas industry vote for this cat when he's signed a pledge he's not going to take your money? To me, unless you're trying to like trip him up and kind of counter, you know, kind of like an espionage deal, why yeah. in the world would you vote for this guy? Because obviously he's going in a direction, the re like the rest of the Democratic Party, which will have to denounce it. Now, maybe you think he's saying that and he's going to pull back or whatever. I don't know. But why would you, um, why in the world would you vote for this cat? He He's... He's. I mean, yeah, well, I know some folks who did, and I, I, for the I know some folks. I'll say this, Josh, and, and I'll let you comment. I know some folks who voted for him against Ted Cruz, and I don't. You know I me. Mean? I'm not a big Ted Cruz guy. Um, I guess I can see it in that case. Um, but when you talk about running for the, the office of the presidency, um, the matter of rhetoric and the way that that thing, that thing works, um, especially with the Democratic candidates we have this coming up, is going to be. You know, us oil and gas folks are going to have to run to the ghettos, if you will, if uh, <laughs> if they win because they are. They're going to massacre us over the next couple of years. So, you know, if you vote for them, you know, that's, yeah, whatever. I just don't understand why anybody in the oil and gas industry would vote for, 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 for this clown. Yeah, and so my thought was, so like you just mentioned, uh, my original thoughts were twofold. Uh, one, the guy that's giving him the money, if they're an oil and gas executive, they're an idiot. That would be one thing. That would be my first thought. Second thought was, Perhaps there's pay-to-play going on, and so there would be select oil and gas groups that will be able to play based on the amount of contributions right. they made to the right people. Right. Um, now, I'm inclined to go with the second one. He's an oil and gas executive. He's probably not an idiot. And sure. we would be foolish to think that these people that are using climate change, that they're sincerely concerned about the climate. They're, they're using climate as a way to garner control. Uh, I think it's been pretty clearly laid out in several different places. But um, people that, that complain of climate change typically have the biggest uh, fossil fuel footprint of all the people mm -hmm. in, in the world. Mm -hmm. So they're using that as a way to gain control and be able to profit from that control so they can um, 
Well, you, you see the point. So yeah. that was the first thing. Uh, and, and then the second, I think, was uh, what I mentioned earlier. He was removed from the national list of pledge signers. So I think what he was trying to do was take this stance, use it to bolster his position, but then he had received money from an oil and gas executive, so it was contradictory. And, uh, man, you know, the like, like you mentioned, these Democratic candidates that are coming up, uh, if they don't make you nervous, uh, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if this was a normal political show where we were talking about oil and gas, you know, I think my my opinion on um, or my, my my stance on you know, um, you know how hard I'd be on you vote on Democrat politicians would be one thing, but on this show where we're pro oil and gas, we make no apologies about it. We're pro free market, we make no apologies about it. Uh, if you support, if you support, and I'll, I'll give you this, Josh. Let's just take let's just detour here for thirty seconds, and for those who don't want to hear the politics, I apologize in advance. Um, I think it was Elizabeth Warren who was saying the other day um, that she wants the, the, the 70% income tax. So if you make over $10 million, she wants to tax every million after that at 70%. And I saw a lot of reporters liking this, a lot of, uh, especially sports reporters that were liking this. And I, and I told you this, Josh. I said, these reporters who are liking this heavy tax, who do they think is going to make the money that will be required to pay the athletes in which they're always saying the athletes aren't getting paid enough. And the same thing for oil and gas reporters. Who do you think will make enough money to go drill the wells? Because you have to make a lot of money to be able to go out and to drill a well, or you have to be able to borrow money, which means you have to have some kind of capital. So if you're taking every 70% over every, uh, of every million over every 10 million, over 10 million, sorry, how do you expect people to accumulate wealth? You have to have the wealthy to then, there, there's a lot of things, and, and, and going to your point specifically about the climate change things, I do think that some of these people believe it. I don't think they don't understand economics, and that's my thing, is that if you understand economics, then you understand that what you're talking about won't work. Sadly, most reporters, most business reporters especially, don't understand economics. And so when, when, when um, Cortez, uh, Ocasio-Cortez comes out and says something, there's... You know, the, the business reporters are the ones that you would go, well, hold on, wait, the Green New Deal, wait, that, that, that won't work because we have we understand economics. Um, Beto O'Rourke, you're, you're not going to take money because of this, that, and the other. Well, well why, are, why are fossil fuels so bad, Beto? Because when you do that, you're essentially going to end civilization as we know it if you want to get rid of if you want to get rid of fossil fuels. So why are fossil fuels the, the devil here? Um, and, and so I think, sadly... Um, business reporters, especially, and I'm going to pick on them right now because they're the ones, the political reporters, uh, you know, I have no hope for those guys, but the business, business reporters, they cover business. They should understand economics and they should understand what's going on here. So when you see crazy tax things like 70% of every million over 10 million, you should sit down and go, well, how does someone become a billionaire? And if you hear that statement and you go, well, who should become a billionaire? Then you have a personal problem. That's a you problem. Um, there's a lot of things that billionaires bring to our society that are good. I'm not a billionaire. Josh is close, but I'm not. Um, and so I, um, I don't have a problem people making billions of dollars. I would like to make a billion dollars. I'm sure all of our listeners would either. Um, so that would be, that's kind of my rant, Josh, is on this stuff, is that if you want to vote for Beto, fine, go vote for Beto. But, 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 but keep in mind that the policies, as Josh mentioned, with environmentalism, a lot of the pro-environmentalist folks fly all over the world. 
in planes that are fueled by oil and gas, that are made by oil and gas, all the plastics, um, and have a huge carbon footprint. They never talk about actually how it would work to get from uh, fossil fuels to non-fossil fuels. You know why? Because they don't know. You know why? Because no one knows. Because it's not possible. Uh, there's a lot of rhetoric. There's a lot of hype. And what happens is, is that people take control, and they take more control, and they take more control. And then one day, you're sitting out in the dark going, huh, wow, we used to have a lot more freedom than we did the day before. And I'm always on the side of freedom, Josh. That's just where I stand on this stuff. I don't apologize for it. And I think that you're right um, on what you're pointing out there. And it's just frustrating. Um, you know, I understand that for some people, there's social issues that they may lean more Democrat uh, on the more Democratic side of things, the Republican side of things. But this is the oil and gas show, so we're, we're <laughs> I'm keeping about money and oil and gas. Yeah. Well, you know, just to clarify one thing, Ryan, you mentioned that there are people that, that do believe, there are people that sincerely believe the issues uh, involving uh, revolving around climate change and the impact that fossil fuels are having on that. Um, I agree, but I also believe that those people aren't willing to sacrifice the luxuries that are provided by fossil fuels, and that's my main point. Sure. They, they want to... So the people, the main proponents of all these uh, tightened down on fossil fuels, these people up high are have the biggest carbon uh, footprints in the world. I mean, there I, there are several people that I read. It's just ridiculous yachts and and things, private jets. Um, that is not the approach of a consistent uh, of, of a consistent stance against fossil fuels. If you're going to take the approach. You need to lead by example and begin to take measures to lower your carbon footprint and then argue from there. But so far, there's no one doing that. Uh, because no, it's, because it's, hard to, it's hard to actually make a point um, on the Internet and, and be able to fly around and make the point you're making without using a lot of carbon, which that is the contradiction. That, that's the issue, that the carb, the, you know, fossil fuels are necessary to generate society to do what we have to do. And I think if everyone would turn their attention to making new energy or finding renewable energy or using all of this rhetoric instead of trying to harp on fossil fuels and how bad they are, but rather use all the energy to try to improve, improve it, make, make something better. Um, if you can make something better that can provide as much energy as fossil fuels and it's done at a cheaper price, sure. then the, the market's going to move us in that direction automatically. It, it's, it, that would be the thing that the energy would need to be. Yep. And yeah. I would say this to your point. I think you make, you make a great point there. I would respect the candidate who said, I'm going to sit in my house every day, record videos, upload them to the internet because the impact on the environment is, is so bad that I cannot, in my mind, validate flying over the country. I don't know if that cat would actually believe that or not, but I would at least respect that you're actually being consistent in what you're saying. But there's no consistency from that side. And that's, and that's the problem. And that's what's sad. Um, and, uh, you know, anyways, so um, enough of that, Josh. Let's get back enough to the that. business All right. stuff. So Big Oil is heading offshore. Big Oil is heading ho- offshore. There's been some talks. I know Exxon is uh, is doing some drilling, I believe, uh, around Pakistan or, or with a Pakistan, uh, company based out of Pakistan. Um, several, several things in the news this week. Uh, the reason that some of these companies are moving offshore is they're saying the price comparison is uh, to – in order to get 120,000 barrels per day in the Permian would cost you 12.8 billion. In Guyana, uh, it would be 3.7 billion. So there's about a 75% um, decrease there in price 
uh, costs rather uh, to drill with these offshore offshore wells rather than these land wells. So uh, we've talked a little bit about the cost in the Permian being pretty high and something that is worth keeping our eye on. Um, I, th I think some of it may be a little overstated here. I think offshore has always been a, a, a profitable venture. And I think land has just had some options that have opened up here recently. What are some of the things that this article is not detailing, Ryan? Like it, offshore, can you get to a pipeline as easily and get the transportation? Or are some of those margins being missed in the details here of, of this article? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's not all encompassing. I, th I think the, I think my biggest takeaway is is that we, if we go back, God, I think it was two years ago, the headlines read that offshore was dead, offshore wasn't coming back, and, and the fact that offshore is back, um, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise. These offshore projects are very long-term projects, whereas, you know, we talk about the decline rates of the Permian, uh, they ramp up pretty quickly. Well, these offshore ones, they're, they're a lot different, and so... I think it's a good thing, and I think that's the problem that we have in oil and gas right now is it's 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 kind of everyone versus everyone, and we need a diverse portfolio in what's going on because as we talked about before, uh, multiple times, Josh, we said, hey, you know, um, you know, the Permian, the price gets really expensive. It might be better for your business to go look somewhere else. Okay, mm -hmm. well, that's what he's saying here. Essentially, I mean, he's not literally saying that, but but basically, he's saying, hey. You know, it costs, you know, $12.8 in the Permian versus $3.7 billion over here. Well, good for them. Let them go make it. The other thing is, is that we need a diverse type, a uh, diverse blend of oils. We don't want all one type of oil. So um, drilling in different spots around the world is a positive because then you bring in more blends to the market. Um, and so when you see stuff like Venezuela going off the market, you lose their heavier type of crude oil that was coming to the market. So I think that we, we sometimes we get caught up in, we want the Permian to succeed, or we want this to succeed, and really we need them, let them sit back at the market, um, dictate on where things will go. And if folks, if folks start pulling out of the Permian and going towards offshore, for the oil and gas industry, that's fine. Um, it means the Permian will have to figure out, um, you know, readjust its strategies, figure out what's profitable, um, go from there. So I, don't, I but but just last week we talked about um, all the companies investing in the Permian. So to me, I read this. I thought this is good news. We want people investing offshore. There's nothing wrong with this, and it actually will probably be um, better in the long run if companies are trying out different things, testing the market, seeing where profitabilities are, and uh, trying to get a better understanding of um, exactly where their portfolio is. And for Hess, maybe for Hess it is better fit offshore at this time. Maybe not. I don't know. But I think it's a good. I think it's good to uh, to see this. I don't think this is bad news for us in Texas at all. Yeah, I agree. One takeaway that I noticed in the article, Ryan uh, Reuters reported earlier this week, Magellan Midstream Partners has canceled its Permian Gulf Coast pop pipeline project that would have added one million barrels per day to pipeline capacity in the region. Um, so um, this was going to be coming on. Uh, I think later. Uh, later next year so um, that, that's one thing to look at I, I, I don't know much about this particular uh, pipeline project I remember Ryan when we went over uh, drilling info they sent us a, I think it was a fundamental edge that we looked at and it had all the dates that all these pipelines were scheduled to go online and there were a tr I mean there were several in the 
2020 year that I wasn't aware of, but they had them all broken down. It was a fantastic little piece that they had. Um, so this may have been one of those pipelines that was projected, but it really looked like after the fourth quarter of this year, it was going to be eased up a lot, and then production was going to ramp up. And then there were going to be several other pipelines that came online in 2020 that was going to really, really take the pressure off uh, of the bottleneck so that uh, production could really ramp up the way uh, all these companies have been intended, intending to do for some time. So news here, Magellan Midstream Partners, their pipeline in the Permian Gulf is canceled. All right. Well, we had a lot of news, great questions for the show. Now we're going to do the Texas Roundup. Uh, we try to get information out that is uh, pertinent with certain companies working in certain areas, job opportunities. Um, so listen up. We've got a few things we want to announce here. There was an article that came out that said that Texas needs 11,000 more miles of pipelines. Uh, this is the kind of article, Ryan, we need to like print out, put on the wall and celebrate. Uh, this is yep. good news. So this 11,000 is projected by 2050. So long span, long-term goals for, for what we need and uh, some interesting stuff in the article. We'll link that in the show notes if you want to go check it out to look at some of the projections that came out. Um, I think it was about, uh, it was early last week. Uh, next one, Murphy turns to Eagleford. Uh, so Murphy Oil, they are divesting uh, a lot of their uh, company's Malaysian assets, and they're going to be focusing on Eagleford development. So this was a $2.1 billion sale, uh, and they're, they're using that to free up some capital so that they can make more moves in the Eagleford. So Murphy Oil, Eagleford, we should see some uh, some interest uh areas of interest there so keep an eye on them last one uh, baytex energy focusing on deleveraging uh, they have eagleford assets and they are uh, planning to to make some moves to try to focus more on that area with that Good ryan stuff. i think i think that uh, i think that wraps us up for today um, anything we're missing so far no i think that's it i would like to hear from the listeners though i'm curious we kind of got off on the uh, the beta or work deer. Let us know. What do you guys think? How, how can you, going into 2020, um, how do you see it being able to vote for a Democratic candidate? I guess we're assuming assuming Trump is um, still in office and all that stuff. Um, can you see yourself voting for a Democratic uh, candidate over the Republican nominee based upon the rhetoric coming out of the Democratic Party? Um, as someone who works in the industry, I understand there's other issues that don't have to do with oil and gas, but just from the oil and gas standpoint, could you see yourself voting for a Democratic presidential candidate based upon the candidates that are there now? If so, let us know what we're missing, because I would be curious to hear that, Josh. You know, I would, I would love to hear um, someone that would, you know, has a reason for why they'd vote for a Democratic candidate, because, you know, theoretically we could have missed something. So let us know. TexasOilAndGasPodcast.com is the website. You can shoot us a note there um, where we will keep the discussion going. Um, Bath and Bay Rod and Gun is our sponsor. Just a few weeks from now, we'll be down there again, ripping a little lip. Be sure to go to texasoilandgaspodcast.com slash fishing if you want to sign up for the chance to win the May trip. We also have a giveaway coming out soon, so be sure to connect on LinkedIn. You'll see that as well. Well, that is a wrap, Josh. As we said, we will not be there. We will not be um, here next week. Might be at the Texas um, Energy uh, Alliance of Energy Producers tomorrow. So if you're going to be there, hit me up on LinkedIn. Let me know. And until next time, keep climbing. Mm-hmm.